culture's art often tells you what that culture wants or what it values. I'm going to give you some surprising examples of some pop culture that tells you what our culture wants. That and a lot more on this week's Corey Act Show. First, a couple points of personal privilege, and we will dive right in with some pop culture findings I have made over the last week that we have not been together. First, happy Advent season. Merry Christmas to you all. Do not just muddle through or sprint through this season. I'm upstairs right now in my, my well, my third bedroom, which we can call studio right now. Across the street at my neighbor who's got her nativity cut out up, Christmas trees up in the house. Uh, it is a time for, yes, family and for gifts and for warm tidings, uh, but let me encourage you to to sit with the wonder, the true miracle of Christmas, the the true miracle of Advent, God putting on man, the, the, the anticipation, these are the themes of Advent weeks, the anticipation of it, wanting it, always, I try to do this every year, helping your kids recognize that the same way they anticipate Christmas morning, that we're anticipating the coming of Jesus, his, his second coming. There is uh, anticipation and hope in that. There's, then there is uh, the joy of that actually coming to pass and the explosion of joy that is the Christmas season. Uh, there's, this just permeates a lot of your Christmas songs you can be singing. Uh, and then there is the, the peace that comes, having this abiding presence with the Lord and then finishing up with the love of God that made it all possible. So happy Advent season to you. A lot of good Advent resources out there. I ordered one for me and my wife. We're going to do some Advent devotionals together throughout this season. Uh, We're now behind because it has not arrived yet, Uh, but I highly encourage it. I should also tell you some other things about me. I'm the uh, pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville. You can also reach the show at Show at gmail.com or look for me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or threads. My weird name will get you there. Just look for Corey Truax. Out here on the podcast feed, you will find a sermon series I am in, working through the book of Hebrews. Very uh, happy with the sermon that's just posted. Got a lot of good feedback from our church people. I tried to listen back to it and realized I made a mess of about four verses uh, in this passage. And so I I wish I could just go cut those like seven or eight minutes out of the thing. Made a mess of them. I'm going to try to clarify it this coming Sunday. Uh, But a really, I think a really strong word from Hebrews, not because of me, but because of the writer has this brilliant illustration about growing up and maturing and getting off of milk, getting off of mama's milk, and getting to solid food. So that's out there. And since I'm talking about Beachwood Church, a happy birthday to my elder brother and our lead pastor. Uh, our my our pastor is Doug, Doug, Doug Jr., Doug Trex Jr. Uh, he's also my older brother. I never, I don't think I've ever recorded on a day that it was his birthday. So shout out to him. I'm recording on the day of. All right, let's do this thing. I really think we're only going to do two stories today, and the second one is very short. So uh, this could be a short show. Here's my premise. The art you will find on the walls in archaeological digs will often tell you what that ancient culture valued, what its highest ideals were. You will find in the art of any given culture the things they, they sing about, the things that they put on stage for theater, once film was invented, what we put on our screens, these are the things we value or I idealize. There are exceptions to that, but that is, I think most of uh, the word I'm looking for is anthropologists will tell you that's the driving force of art. 
So, for example, in our day, let's go the last 150 years, the driving force of songs is love. They're love songs. That's not true outside of the post-romantic era that we're in. Songs were about lots of things. Songs were about family. Songs were about struggle, not just heartbreak like they like they are now, but the struggles of the struggles of life. There's there was a lot the songs were about, but primarily the driving force of our musical art the last 150 years has been love songs and heartbreak, all the things that come around romantic love, and that makes sense. We went through an era called the uh, the romantic era that happened in the visual arts, but also happened in music. And as family disintegration happened, as we started to break away from our families to become autonomous selves, the chief achievement of life became getting a partner. And so our art started to reflect that. You will find in a lot of hip-hop and rap, the idealized content is money, lots of women, certain kind of cars. That's what is idealized. I recently went through a song here on the show called um, Sad Little Bug, something Little Bug, that this one was not idealized, but it's telling us an experience, a feeling going through young people right now of just not having any purpose. So in my content intake, I've noticed just the last week of watching things or hearing about things that there's a... There's some themes going through pop culture and art right now that tell us some things that this sin-sickened world is longing for. Yes, we live in an age that has seared consciences. We are living amongst a people that can't tell right from wrong, and when wrong is in their face, they can look at wrong and they can celebrate it. Yes, that's largely true, but God was good in this in Ecclesiastes. The law of God is written on the heart of humanity. Even the most seared conscience, the person farthest from God, has the law of God written on his heart, on her heart, and there is some spark in them because God is good. He's We, we are made in his image. We can know right from wrong and good from bad. And I think there is something that the sin-sickened world is starting to long for, some things it's longing for, and so that's why it's getting focused on in some art that I want to bring up. Let's do three. One, I got a, a good wife who will watch all the football in the world with me. She actually enjoys a lot of it. There will become a time on a late Sunday night after two days of football watching, she will say, I think I've had enough football, and she's sweet about it. But we will. Uh, we, we were watching TV Saturday, just hanging out together, and we needed a football break, like actually watching football. And I turned on HBO Max and found that one of my favorite shows, like a top three, top four, five show of mine, is when they do Hard Knocks. Hard Knocks is an HBO show that follows around one NFL team throughout the season and does it documentary style. And she actually likes that show because it is more of the actual football players, the coaches. It's not the games. It's the interpersonal drama. And she was in for it, and so we started watching it. They're following the Miami Dolphins, by the way, having a great season, the number one offense, a very interesting uh, dynamics there. This head coach is very funny. He's very young. He's a Yale graduate. Uh, Tua Tungaviola, their quarterback, actually has, I think, a really clear Christian testimony. He's one of the best athletes I've ever heard at actually articulating clearly the effect on the the effect of the gospel on his life. They're a very interesting team to follow. And just about 10 minutes in, me and my wife 
are watching this a scene I'm about to tell you about, and we look at each other. She is almost tearing up, not intensely, but like we're both just thinking, how sweet is this and how surprised we were to be seeing it on HBO, probably the most aggressively secular, progressive network. I couldn't pull the uh, the audio because, I honestly, I forgot our HBO Max login. It's on the Roku downstairs, and I can't figure it out on my computer. They're talking to Tyreek Hill, I think almost inarguably the best receiver in the league right now. And he's he's lived that, that young man lifestyle of being a multimillionaire athlete, especially after being traded to Miami and the party scene in Miami. But they show him in a house now with his wife that he just married. He got married in season, and they're soon to be children, or soon to be child. And he starts to talk about how he was just talking to some some men in his life, and he just realized he needed to be a man. And men don't you know don't play around like that all the time. They don't party all the time. And it was just it was time to marry this girl that he had been with forever, and to come home. He said, "I, I got to come home and leave football. Football is just my job. I got to leave the job and come to my home where the real work is, and get ready to raise a child, and and be a good husband." He uses that phrase to be a good husband, to be a good father. That's, that is not normal content to laud and lift up a young man turning his back on his frivolousness and his immaturity and embracing the very traditional role. Because the way they were both talking about it, they were both, as you, would, as you find in a lot of black households, very traditional in their roles. The male provider and protector, the female rearer of children and, uh, and, and doing work. She, she was actually very... Um, entrepreneurial. She was doing real estate classes. She wanted to contribute. They were talking about the future being together forever because he, he said the profound thing that I wish more athletes would stay out loud. He said, football won't be here soon. And I think that's true of Tyreek Hill. He's like 28. He's probably not going to be in the league three years from now. He might make it two more seasons. That's just the nature of sports. Your body can only be at that high level for so long. And he's talk, talking on HBO about leaving football and it's being a good husband and good a good father for his many years and not defining himself by his fame or his his physical prowess. Now, why would you focus on that? There's 53 men on the roster. There's eight coaches. There's all their spouses. My understanding of how HBO does the show is they are like eight or nine production crews and they just get all the footage they can and they decide just to pick one hour versus uh, one hour worth of content and put that out each week. Why make this the top of the show? It was in the first ten minutes. It's because the world longs for it. They don't want to admit they long for it. We want to, in our flesh, embrace the message of the last sixty years. The men men don't need to settle down and get a wife. Men don't need to father children and prioritize their home first over their careers. Women don't need no man. They can be independent. And not only do they not need no man, they can have all the kids they want without a man and raise those kids. And If she wants them, who cares about the kids needing a dad? She can have all the kids she wants. But really what seems to be the catalyst for these two is a kid is coming and we need, we need to get together for this kid. They may not want to want it, but the law of God written on our hearts, I think they 
may hate themselves for it, but they do want it. The traditional nuclear, I have that term, that, that traditional biblical family, husband, wife, kids, the world may laud all they want, these untraditional families, but we all want the ideal. And I, you know, they, they don't mean to be doing it, but that kind of picture being held up as a standard, that is what we need. We need more Tyreek Hills. We're going to need better men if we're ever going to get to a world where fathers do lead. They're going to have to be worthwhile men, men worth marrying, men worth following, men choosing not to define themselves by their jobs, or for that matter, choosing not to define themselves and give all their time to their hobbies and their frivolous little things. We're going to need more of that. I don't think HBO meant to put a certain level of traditional family and even patriarchy at some level on the screen, but they did, and they did so glowingly. They did so in a way that was alluring to the outside eye. It tells us our culture is longing for something like that. Two more like this. I'll I'll stick with HBO and then finish with a movie. Again, my wife and I, we are enjoying a show called The Gilded Age right now. I... (sighs) There's two scenes thus far that I would say don't have your kids watch or as I often do, I will read ahead on like those Guardian websites um, and just fast forward through through some things. Uh, Of course, it's HBO, so there has to be a gay storyline. There cannot be a TV show now without a gay storyline. It's absolutely a necessity. But it is a secondary or even, it's really a tertiary storyline. So just content warnings for you. But beyond that, Here's what they're illustrating for you in the show. It is the gilded age of New York City. It's the 1870s and 1880s, many years post the Civil War, and it's all about high society New York. You'll hear all the familiar names that we think of when we think of New York City now. It's the Rockefellers and the Carnegies, and it's the Vanderbilts. It's actually really clear that the show, even though the, quote, Vanderbilts are a character in New York City in the show, this family that they're following is modeled on the Vanderbilts. They're a railroad family. They are a, a stock market family. That's how they've made all their money. And so it's it's a story of this age of, of let's call it high society dignity. And while there's only, it's said in the show, 400 members of high society in New York City, and these are people that dress up every day. They are very traditional families that, that are stick together and are knit together. They are led by their fathers and mothers. The children are not even, they're not even thinking about the concept of dating. It's not a thing. You present your, your young sons and young daughters at a certain age. You let the other members of high society know they're now available for consideration of marriage, and then parents deal with that. And by the way, as much as that's backward to us, in the show, it's not even portrayed all that negatively. It's actually portrayed kind of positively. I'll tell you more about that in a second. These are people who use all the right language. They are upstanding citizens and charitable. It's very important to them to be seen as moral and following the 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 typical Christian standards of living. I love this in one episode. It was Easter, but it was kind of implied that if you're going to be a decent person in New York City, you're going to show up to church. Not just for Easter. You need to be in church because that's what good, decent, moral people do. That is what the show is in the foreground, is all of the internecine politics uh, of the families, the high society families of New York City. And guys, it's incredibly well written, and it's well acted, 
It is all I, I can't I can't wait for the next episode. It's that kind of show. I love this show. And it, it does those things that I love in historical shows. Like I love this about Mad Men. Mad Men from AMC told in the foreground stories of romantic drama and marriage drama and business drama and financial stress and parenting issues. They did those those dramatic things you do in a show. And in the background, they gave you the history of the United States from the late 50s throughout the 60s. You got the Martin Luther King Jr. and, uh, and Robert Kennedy assassinations. You got Walking on the Moon. You got uh, when the show went, went from New York to L.A., you got the, the hippie movement. You, you got all of that history in the background. And that's what they're doing here. You get the first ever building totally fully electrified by Thomas Edison. You're getting some of these skyscrapers coming along. You're getting the history of New York City while the foreground, it's it's like a, an even better, uh, I forgot the name of that show on PBS where there was the upper house, the lower house in Britain. Uh, I can't believe I can't remember that show. But it's, it's that for New York City. It's great. Now, the fact that it is one of the biggest shows right now, and HBO is putting it out there from week to week. What is it telling us that our culture might be longing for? I think there might be some appetite for dignity again. We live in a really raunchy age with really just low standards for how we for how we dress, how we talk. The language we use is just so low. There's no standards of behavior. And you're you're looked at really weird if you even think that someone that you should have a standard for someone else and how they talk or how they behave or how they have their interactions. The I know a lot of the women I've talked to that watch the show, my my big sister watches it as well. They love the fashion because every day you're putting on these very very conservative dresses, but they're ornate. And the men are dressed up every day because, in part to, to illustrate something. We're about the business of, of conquering this, this city, of conquering this moment in post-World War II America, of, of, of making the rail system work, of the next generation of industry and business and, and mechanics and electricity, and all these things that are happening. We are dressing for the role. We're acting for the role. I don't know if they mean to illustrate what we're longing for, but we are. We're longing for that kind of dignity, that kind of purpose. We might even be longing for those kinds of standards. I use this as an experiment illustration Sunday. In the show thus far, there's the, there's a woman, she's now probably in her 50s, whose first kid, when she was in her late teens, early 20s, was born outside of marriage, and they still have her shunned from society. She can't get in because she committed what actually is an egregious sin. So I know who I'm talking to. I know my, my people I'm just connected to. There is very literally, if you're an exception to this, I'd love to hear it. There is almost no chance that if you're listening to me, you don't have a sister, niece, aunt. There's someone connected to you. I'm talking about blood connected to you who didn't have a kid outside of marriage. That's how common it is now. It's just common and normal, so we're not scandalized by it. In their society... It happened 30 years ago, and they will not get over it. It's too scandalous that you had sex outside of marriage, and there was a child from it. Now, that's an unhealthy obsession with it. That's not about the holiness of God or 
Uh, that's not about. Uh, that's not actually about the standard. That's about their their societal standards. And so there's no way of reconciliation. There's no way of repentance. There's no way back in or restoration. That part's bad. But their understanding of being scandalized by sexual sin is very good. They they can't have it. The there were, there have been two storylines now. Of one one is the impropriety of someone being seen as staying overnight at the opposite sex's house. And it would ruin your life. It could ruin your life if it was that scandalous if you did that and somebody found out. Just no no because just because the act is implied. The uh there's storyline of a young lady needing to travel for work and her boss is male. And there there's scandal around it. And there's I'm trying to think of the, uh, the word I'm really looking for is not scandalized. The word, if I if I get to that word, literally my job as a broadcaster, I will toss it out there, but I can't get there. They're just blown away by the impropriety of it. And I was giving a different point in my sermon illustration Sunday about why I've just been so desensitized to those things. But that that attitude towards sex and sexuality, I think we might long for some of that again. We've just made sex so low. I got we got situations now that it's every week I get another story of an elementary school teacher, middle school teacher selling her body on OnlyFans. Used to be a certain kind of woman that had to end up in prostitution, and now we just got middle class moms prostituting themselves on the internet through OnlyFans and pornography. Sex and sexuality are just so low. There seems to be maybe an eternal longing to wish. I could see it for both sexes having used their bodies for this long of this 40, 50 year experiment we're in where sex means nothing. But the sexual act in the end does leave them empty because they know it should mean something. They, they've had so much taken from them that they, they, wish the, they wish the world was more like this one from the Gilded Age where everyone knew that this thing that... I am doing with random strangers. It's taking a lot from me. I wish my body meant more to somebody. I, th- I think something's there. I, I'll, I'll finish this illustration on their their point of patriarchy. The the father in the show. He is one again r- rarities. He is portrayed as this rich, wealthy robber baron who absolutely adores his wife a woman throws herself at him propositions him and he's not even he's not even phased he doesn't even think about it he just tosses her out because he just loves his wife he's obsessed with her and it was just oh it's it's so good to see that illustrated a big powerful man who's not playing around he's gonna love his wife and while he's got his problems he's even illustrated in conversation with a young man who has come to him and said, I'm interested in marrying your daughter. And this young man offers a good bit. It would be a good financial transaction for the family. It would keep their status high in the city. But this good father tests and pokes and prods and gets out of this young man that he has no interest in his actual daughter. He has interest in the family's money. He has interest in the main family's prestige 
but he doesn't care about his daughter, and he kicks that guy out and says, I will have a I will have a husband for my wife. I will find a husband for my wife who excuse me, find a husband for my daughter who loves her. Who loves her like I love her mom. It's ruled by the father. Not just by man, not by men. Men don't rule, but fathers rule. Who've taken the responsibility. Listen, I don't think HBO meant to, but they're telling a story here where Traditional values are longed for. Now, a, a sub-point here. This, this, I think, is what some people, uh, at some level of talking about Christian nationalism, is what they would, they, they would say is, uh, in New York City in the 1880s, if you're a respectable person, so even the underclass, the lower class, they all wanted to be upper class. And so as they were looking at the model of the upper-class people, they would dress up and behave with dignity and use certain types of language and wanted to learn all the customs, including going to church, Now, which means New York City was likely full of a bunch of false converts who were going to church for all the wrong reasons. But I mean, what a world that would be where 90% of the, of the people show up to church on Sunday because there's social pressure. You know what you could do when a bunch of non-believers feel like they need to come to church? You can convert them. There's definitely there's definitely negatives to that kind of veneer of Christianity. But do you prefer it to what you got right now? And this just sin sickened gross place where you live? I got one more for you that wasn't on HBO. That I think uh, I think will be helpful. Uh, it's from a Jennifer Lawrence movie that's called uh I forgot actually what it's called. It's I didn't see it because my understanding is um, it's not stuff you can fast forward through. It's apparently quite raunchy, but in a sexually, oh, uh, there it is, called No Hard Feelings. So I won't be seeing it, but I think it does make a point for us about these biblical things that the human heart wants, doesn't even know that they want them, but they're they're writing stories now that are illustrating what they're longing for. You know, these th- these things that the Bible wants, or the, the or these biblical principles that we find in Scripture and how they apply in modern day. It's stuff that we have been talking about on the show for a couple years now. These that I'm giving you today are more easily applicable to the modern day and some of our attitudes, but sometimes when we're thinking about Old Testament laws and how they might inform us today or how we might institute them today, they're hard to think about. I give you the example often of the the law that says if you have a a dwelling, a house, you have to put a railing around your roof because if someone falls off, it's, it's you're now going to be liable for that because your lack of diligence caused them harm. You don't know how to how to institute that in the modern day. You've probably not fallen off someone's roof because they failed to have a railing, but you might have gotten caught up in a situation where the modern day equivalent has happened to you. Uh, that modern day equivalent might be getting hurt at work because of someone or your employer's negligence, or it could be getting hurt in an accident because of someone making a mistake. That might be the analog for those. In both of those, getting hurt at work, car accidents, there are serious consequences when those happen. Medical bills pile up. You're losing wages. And while that's happening, you're just trying to get the process figured out to get justice. Listen, I don't want you to be intimidated by that process. Don't be scared by it. There are people out there to help you through it. The one I want to introduce you to right now is a personal friend of mine. His name is Samuel Harms. You can Google him. It's Samuel Harms, H-A-R-M-S, as in stay out of harm's way. He's easy to find. His number is 864-666-6666. Samuel Harms, attorney at law. Don't try to do these things alone. 
I, I know that can be tempting, but reach out to someone who can help. Samuel Harms is one of them. He's here in Greenville at 33 Market Point Drive, Greenville, South Carolina, 29607. The number is 666-6666. So if you have been hurt at work or in a car accident because of someone else's negligence, give Samuel Harms a call and get that process started today. Here is that third example. So there's HBO's Tyree Kill. We long for good fatherhood and good families on hard knocks and the Gilded Age. We, we long for some, some better sexual ethics and higher society and higher standards, even good the good form of patriarchy with men who actually care about their wives and, and daughters and take care of them. And then I'll give you one final one. Don't see this. I'll make a Christian argument. Don't see this movie. Apparently it's just nudity and sex and there's just a lot of stuff that we don't need to take in. There's a movie called No Hard Feelings. One of the biggest movie stars of the last decade is in it, Jennifer Lawrence. She was in Hunger Games. She's apparently an early 30s woman in the, sh- in the movie. I guess she's probably an early, mid-30s woman in real life. And she is on, a, on hard times financially. And so there's a very wealthy family that puts out this ad looking for a woman of the world to seduce their son their 18 or 19 year old son because he's going off to college and they want him ready for all of the sexual dalliances that await him in college i know the premise of this is insane and stupid but that's the premise of the movie and so jennifer lawrence i think objectively we would all say she's an attractive woman uh gets this job and the, the if my understanding of the premise is that the son doesn't know that she's trying to seduce him so sh- this is her having to use all of her feminine wiles to try to seduce this guy because that's what she's been hired to do. And as any kind of romantic comedy would, uh, this is, this writes itself, as she's trying to seduce him and trying to get him to have sex with her, and he won't do it. He, 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 won't, go, he won't do that. She falls for him. And of course she does. A woman who has so found her identity only in her sexuality and her body using trying to use her body to make money a young man who has every opportunity to use her body won't do it and that's what causes her to fall for him to love him i know it's a apparently nudity filled raunchy movie that we should stay away from but is isn't it making an argument for chastity in some ways What's the beautiful thing? What does she actually want? She wants a man not to see just her body. She wants a man to see her. This man does, and this young man does, and that's what she falls for. That sex as a transaction is disordered and gross and ugly. This good gift God gave us, sexuality and marriage, is a good gift, and our culture so abuses it and makes it just gross and rotten in this kind of movie, despite its raunchiness. Maybe maybe unintentionally makes a point. You know when sex is actually beautiful? Inside commitment. Now, it probably misses the marriage piece. So and only and the only real commitment for sexuality is marriage between one man and one woman. They don't mean to make the argument, but they do. I suspect that is the the longings out there, especially for young people, I've heard it from young folks, primarily just through like Instagram reels. It's a sad state of affairs out there that 
the hookup culture has just left people angry and embittered and they, they just feel gross about their lives. They wanted the romance. They wanted to get to know somebody. And the expectation now is just sex. That's what's got to happen. I don't remember who said this first, but it's all over conservative broadcasting, Christian broadcasting now, but it's a good catch that the movies of the 60s and 70s had a right order in a romantic movie. To A man and a woman would meet. There would be initial interest. There would be flirting and pursuit and dating to determine if there's a good match there. And usually in those movies, there's some kind of uh, inciting incident that kind of messes it up, but they all come back together in the end, and then there's a marriage, and then off-screen, the implication is a sexual relationship happens out. Either there's a nine months later, and here's a baby, or you'll start to kiss in a room, and the camera pans away, and you can, you're supposed to just have your imagination go, oh, I know what's happening now. But that was the order of things in our pop culture. The order of things now is meet on an app, get together and have sex. All right, so now that we've done that, let's figure out if we like each other. Let's maybe go on some dates, have some conversations, and that might end up in marriage, maybe. We've inverted, for this generation of people, call it 30 and under, we've inverted the entire process. It's made them depressed and angry and bitter engrossed out and now that they're writing the movies now that they're writing the shows i think that undertone long that there's something underneath longing for sex to matter longing for society not to be so coarse and gross longing for men to be men of responsibility to take care of their households longing for men to stop playing to grow up and come home and take care of things I think it's out there, and I think we as believers, we've got something to offer. We can identify that with people as we talk about those shows when they come up. We can even just poke and ask, why, why do we think that show is so popular? Why do we think The Gilded Age is so popular? Why do we like it when we hear Tyree Kill go home to his family? Why do we like that? Why do you think the, that movie, the whatever it's called, again, with the Jennifer Lawrence thing, uh, No Hard Feelings, why is that so popular right now? And it's, it's good at attention, excuse me, a good conversation starter, I think, to show that we are all longing for what God designed. And we're in rebellion to what God designed. That's why everyone's so miserable. But we do long for it because it is right and it is good. You know what? I think I want to leave it there. But I am so OCD and I have other things on my prep sheet. I got to do it. So let's do a couple of other items. I just want you to be aware of something happening globally. That just in the last year or so, uh, Italy elected a a fairly far far right type leader, populist type leader. I'm bringing this up because Argentina two weeks ago elected the first libertarian esque president in the history of the world. I don't think any government's ever had a libertarian leader. I should mention there uh, that country is going is going to have to have some hard times. They're in a bad economic situation, especially with inflation, and the the libertarian way out is let it crash and burn. And it will be about a, I, I suspect it'd be a whole 18 months before that place will be back in good condition. Um, the Netherlands also apparently just elected their first ever uh, leader from a particularly right-wing party, mostly anti-immigration. Ireland seems to be having a moment like that right now. Um, and so while I want you to be encouraged by this, secular progressive leftism which was predominant in the West the last 20 years, is starting to get slapped around a little bit. 
the consequences, the, the dumb consequences of their actions, is starting to get responded to. Now, that also means of us, we, we got to have wisdom. The biblical thinker has wisdom and knows as a pendulum swings, then uh, let's actually picture that. Picture a big pendulum swinging. Yes, it's going to knock down all the people on the on the left that did some very stupid and destructive things. Uh, but that pendulum swings all the way up and, and to the right, then you usually have some other people knocked down that we shouldn't, right? So just asking you, because that movement seems to me, I think it might have some currency coming in Canada and maybe the United States, which well, in some ways it's going to be appear encouraging, and it will be. It's good when bad ideas are rejected. It's good when evil ideas are rejected. That's awesome. Just asking for wisdom as that movement to the rightward swing of things around the world starts to formulate. And then final thing I wrote down, because it was just a uh, story from, uh, I can't find where, is this the AP? Yeah, it's the AP. Uh, it's a transgender transgender suspect threatens to rape Christian girls, inject people with HIV who are wearing crosses in a copycat Nashville shooting. Um, so they found a 47-year-old man who dresses like a woman, says he's a woman. He's not. Uh, around Nashville on the Internet saying those ghastly, just terrible things. Um, here's one quote. Uh, There's a lot of transgenders out here who are tired of being picked on, and we're going to the schools, and we're going to kill their effing children out here. That's the end of it. We're at war. Another quote from a website he was on. Uh, a person in Tennessee walked into one of your schools and shot up a bunch of your Christian daughters. That's not the last of them if you don't shut your effing mouths. And also we found once he's arrested, um, he's mentally unstable. He's on all, all kinds of psychiatric drugs. I want to just say this. I, uh, we're more in mentally ill than we've ever been. Not just the depression, anxiety diagnoses. We are more mentally ill than we've ever been. I think that is primary driver of the transgenderism, and I think it's the primary driver of mass shootings, at least the ones that make the news. That the mass shooting and transgenderism are the the ways that our mental illness crisis is manifesting itself. And I think it's about time as a country we start asking ourselves uh, if we can bring back the idea of a mental asylum. We had them for a long time. They were horror shows, horror shows, the way we handled mentally ill people. But so we threw them out, stopped doing it, and so now we just put them in prison or they just walk around in the world and hurt each other and hurt us. So there probably needs to be a, a re-evaluation of how we handle genuinely mentally ill people who are a danger to themselves and others. All right, that's it. Uh, I didn't give you any opportunity throughout the show to respond, and so I would love for you to respond with any thoughts you have, especially on these media things. And things that you're watching, maybe if you're picking up a theme as well, I'd love to know. It's Corey Truax Show at gmo.com. Corey Truax Show at gmo.com. Or find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Threads. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. I will be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.